Isaiah 53, verse 4. It says, Surely He took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet He did not open His mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. You know, crucifixion was a form of torture that was refined and perfected by the Romans. You know, the goal was to inflict maximum pain and slow down death as much as possible. All done publicly for the sake of humiliation and so that onlookers would be deterred from acting similarly. What Jesus went through was far more intense than any punishment or execution that we could conceive today. You know, after being betrayed and deserted by his closest friends, while in a state of intense emotion, agony, and stress, he was taken away to stand a false trial. He was blindfolded so that he wouldn't be able to anticipate blows. He was punched and slapped in the face numerous times. He would have suffered injuries to his eyes, jaw, ears, cheekbones, and after suffering all the emotion that went with this and standing false trial, most likely exhausted, dehydrated, Jesus was then taken to be flogged. He was stripped of his clothes and tied to a post above his head. They would use a flagellum, heavy leather straps, multiple straps, and at the end they'd have two iron balls, and they would often include a sheep bone in there. They would stretch him out, and he would be whipped across his shoulders, back, butt, thighs, and legs. 
At first, these small metal balls would bruise deeply until eventually the skin was opened up and capillaries and veins were broken open. The sheep bone would tear things so much that by the end, his skin would have looked like ribbons hanging from his back. With almost no time to recover, he was then forced to stand. And while they spit in his face and mocked him, they dressed him in a robe. They fastened a crown of thorns, placed it on his head, and beat him over and over again with a staff, driving the thorns into his scalp. Then they removed the robe, reopening all the wounds on his back. Exhausted, dehydrated, humiliated, injured, bleeding profusely, beaten almost to death, they would now lead him to be crucified. He would have been forced to carry the 100-pound wooden beam that he would be killed on a little under a mile to the place where he would be killed at. He would have been thrown on his back, arms stretched wide as they drove two nails into each of his wrists, six inches long, about a half an inch wide. They would have raised the cross up, all the weight bearing on his wrists, pushed him up, placed his feet one over the other, and drove another nail into his feet. This would have caused intense pain, severe nerve damage, but not bleeding because the Romans had perfected this. So they knew exactly where to drive the nails so that it wouldn't bust any arteries. Now nailed to the cross, the real horror of the crucifixion would actually begin. You see, the elbows were bent intentionally above his head with all the weight bearing on his wrists. It's very difficult to exhale or take in fresh air in this position. So the criminal would be forced to push up with all the weight on their feet to draw in air and exhale until the pain was too much to bear, dropping down with then all the weight on the wrists. This cycle would have continued for hours, not to mention the pain from his raw back rubbing up and down the wooden pole. This continued for hours until Jesus breathed his last breath. Because I think we have to ask ourselves a question how much would someone have to love someone to endure this? You know, this morning we're starting our series for the next few weeks entitled Love Driven. We're going to spend a few weeks looking intently at the cross. Because guys, the cross, the message of the cross is so essential to our lives. It's the climax that all the scripture is working up to. And not only... Does it mean salvation for us? But it's also an example for our everyday life. And what we're going to see over the course of the next few weeks, today we're going to dive into the significance of the cross. And from there, we're going to spend time looking at how Jesus acted on the cross and how we can learn from that in our everyday lives. 
And I think you could make the case that almost every situation in life, you could look to the cross and find guidance on how to act or behave or handle that situation. And so our, 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 our services are going to be completely focused and centered around focusing on the cross. We're going we're to have time of deep worship. We're going to have time on reflecting on ourselves, on Jesus, on the cross, how we can apply this to our lives. I hope that it enriches our fellowship discussion as well as our family group times. But today we're going to dive into a little bit of God's character, who God is and who we are. And I think this is going to magnify God's love shown on the cross even more. Because before we can really understand the cross, we have to understand the well-rounded, complete nature of God. And so we're going to talk about a couple aspects of his character, not just his love today. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, we come before you, God, just so humbled. God, when we, when we face the cross, it's, it's so confusing, honestly, God, how someone could be driven God, the extent of love that had to drive you to come down and go through all that for us. God, I pray that over the next few weeks as we focus in on the cross, God, that it would transform our hearts. God, that it would take our eyes off of us and put them at the cross. Put them on you, God. And that we, we can see how you treated us at the cross. We can see how you treated others. We can see how you handled the cross and that we could apply it to our everyday lives. God, I pray today that we can have a deeper better, more well-rounded understanding of who you are and that this would magnify your love on the cross. I love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. You know, God is love, right? Surely this is the quality that we know and discuss most about God, especially in churches today. But God's love doesn't mean quite as much without understanding God's nature of righteousness and justice. Psalms 89, 14, it says, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. You know, these words, righteousness, justice, they are almost inseparable in the Old Testament. You rarely see one of them without the other. The Hebrew words are usually side by side. They mean Almost the same thing. I mean, we could have we could spend an hour trying to understand the difference of the literal meaning of those words. They are so similar. It, their, their Greek roots are the same. To put it plainly, God is righteous, and because He's righteous, He's just. You know, it's interesting because righteousness it holds both a legal and relational meaning. Now, if you didn't know this about God. God is extremely relational in nature. It's, you know, I remember when Katie and I first decided to, to have kids, that we wanted to have kids, someone asked me, why do you want to have kids? I don't know. Right? I, I have no idea why. Uh, you get no sleep. You have less money. It's just more stressful. But something about us in nature has this desire to have a loving relationship with something that we've created. That's a godly quality, right? Our existence is based around the same thing. God, why would you create humans? 
I don't know. Something about God's nature, there's this desire to have a loving, intimate relationship with His creation. That's a godly characteristic. God is relational in nature. We are also relational in nature. Even if you don't like people, your life is surrounded by relationships. And we all have different relationships within our lives, several different relationships that we're subject to, right? The boss-employee relationship, the husband-wife relationship, the parent-child relationship, landlord-tenant relationship, professor-student relationship, cable provider and customer relationship, right? We all are subject to different relationships in our life. And each of these relationships, they bring their own set of demands and expectations, right? In each of those relationships, both parts have some level of expectation to fulfill that relationship. That's what it means to be righteous, to fulfill your end of a relationship. So it's not as like deeply religious as I think we actually can make it out to be. It's, it's a relational but also kind of a legal term. In fact, technically, two murderers or thieves that were working together to accomplish something that both upheld their end of the agreement technically would be considered righteous. That's what it means to be righteous, to fulfill the terms of a relationship. And all throughout Scripture, we see this same concept between God and man. God and man would make these covenants. They would make these agreements, these partnerships. They would have this relationship, and there would be terms to the relationship that both sides were expected to uphold. And God has always been faithful at upholding His end of the relationship. Every single time. Thus, God is righteous. Now, if you've spent one second reading the Bible... It's pretty easy to tell God always holds up his end of the relationship and we are constantly breaking our end of the deal, aren't we? This is where justice comes into play because as much as God is love, as much as God is righteous, God is just. We look at scriptures like Romans 2.6, God will repay each person according to what they've done. Leviticus 5.17, if anyone sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though they don't know it, they are guilty and will be held responsible. Later on in Leviticus 17, verse 11, it says, For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. You know, as much as God is love, as much as he's righteous, God is just. And it's hard for us to appreciate this because when it comes to God being just, it involves us. So there's a little bit of bias that comes with that, right? God, you're so mean. You're so hateful. You're so intense. Well, we desire and appreciate justice in every other area of life, don't we? Right? If a drunk driver pulls onto oncoming traffic, hits a car, and kills a family, justice makes a lot of sense. If a husband is abusive and violent with his spouse or kids, justice makes a lot of sense. 
If you run a stop sign, even if you didn't mean to and you get a ticket for it, as much as you may not like it, you can appreciate it. Justice makes sense. If you cheat on your test and your professor fails you, you may not like it, but it makes sense and you can appreciate it. We appreciate, we value, we desire justice in every area of life, and a world without any level of justice would be complete and utter chaos. Our world is lacking justice right now, and it's already in complete chaos. Imagine having less justice than we already have, and it can be even worse. But guys, we've got to understand God is the same way. God is just. And we're in this relationship with God, and there are terms of that relationship. There are expectations that I'm going to uphold my end of the relationship, and I expect that you uphold your end of the relationship. And when either of us don't uphold our end of the bargain, there's a penalty that's expected. Right? And that's where sin comes into play. The wages of sin is death. Hebrews 9, 22, it says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. If righteousness is upholding your end of the relationship, sin is not. We are in this relationship with God. And when we don't fulfill our end of the relationship, that's sin. When we don't uphold the expectation of that relationship, that's sin. And we can't, guys, we can't fully understand the significance of Christ's love shown on the cross without understanding the intensity, the level of our sin. So what I want to do right now, this is just going to be a personal time for you to focus on this. I'm going to ask our ushers. I've got a, uh, a little sheet here. Okay, and this is what, uh, you know, it's entitled a personal sin assessment. Okay, this is just for you. All right, if you have a pen, um, I would get one. If your neighbor has one, whatever. If you don't have a pen, that's fine. You can just read through it. And basically how this is going to work, um, it's taken most of, the sins that you can read about in the New Testament from all these different sin lists. And it's listed them all out with a little explanation. And next to it, there's just a little line. And it's designed for us to just, just go through and check off every one that applies to you, and every sin that you in this category that you think you've committed over the course of your life. The, the purpose of this is not to shame you. We're not going to turn these in and write your name on it. The purpose of this, guys... Our goal for today is to really understand the magnitude of the love shown on the cross. We can't do that without understanding the magnitude and honestly the quantity of the sin in our life. So that's why we're doing this, okay? It's not so that everyone leaves here feeling horrible, okay? Um, so I'm going to go ahead and ask our ushers to hand that out. We're going to just take five minutes to just spend time reflecting, looking over this, okay? And uh, what they're going to do is they're going to hand you a little stack, and you'll just pass it down the row. And if you have any extras, keep them in the center aisle, and they'll come back through and collect them. Let's just go ahead and take five minutes just to look over this. If you don't feel comfortable doing this, you definitely don't have to. And just for the sake of time, 
if you want to take this home and, and read those scriptures at the top, then you can. Man, we're a mess, right? Right? Um, I, I, I hope you don't just feel, well, I mean, there's going to be a level when you go through this of just like, when you think about what righteousness is, right? Fulfilling our end of the relationship. And you read through this, there's no way to just feel like just the lowest person. But then you look around, and you may peek over at someone else's sheet, and you're like, they got, you know, just as many checks as... We're a mess, guys. And honestly, this was so good for me to do growing up an extremely religious person, because I always thought that, well... Yeah, God's just, but I don't know if that will affect me that much because I'm a pretty good guy. I'd say for the most part, I hold up my end of the relationship and every once in a while I blow it, but, you know, God's loving, so, you know, no big deal. I think when I look at this, I'm like, man, it doesn't matter how good of a person we may think we are. We are all broken, lost, and just utterly sinful. We are so unrighteous. God is just, right? There's penalty to be expected. This is where the cross comes into play. This is why the cross is so powerful. And we're actually going to watch a video here that I think is going to help help tie some of this in and bring hope and encouragement and really drive home, I think, God's purpose behind the cross and some of this explanation. Okay, so let's go ahead and tune in here. You know, during the uh, Napoleonic Wars, men were selected by a lottery system to go to war. But they had a rare um, qualifier in there that if you could get someone else to go in your place, then you wouldn't have to go to war. And, and there's this story that's documented. There's one occasion where uh, the authorities came to a guy's house. They knocked on his door and they said, hey, you've, you've been selected to go to war. And he responded by saying, I died two years ago. I'm not going to war. I'm like, you died two years ago. What is going on? They thought the guy was insane. But anyways, they investigated a little bit. And it turned out two years prior, his name had been selected in this same lottery system to go to war. While he was on his way out, his neighbor came out. He had it on his heart because the guy that had been selected, he had a wife and he had several kids. And this other guy didn't have a family. He said, I don't, I don't have anyone else dependent on me. Let me go in your place. And he died in battle. So they took this case to Napoleon. And Napoleon, he said that this guy, we have no legal claim to this man. He was free because another man had died in his place. Such a, such a picture of what we see here at the cross, isn't it? We see in Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. right? Not when we decided to follow him or had it all together. While we were still a mess, Christ died for us. In Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14, it says... When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it 
to the cross. Guys, nothing reveals God's love and who God is more than the cross. He didn't do away with justice. His justice was satisfied at the cross. But that also magnifies his love. Why? Because I think if he would have just done away with justice and said, eh, no big deal, that wouldn't have really expressed the love that he had for us. He said, no, I still expect justice. There's still a penalty to be expected for not holding up the end of the relationship. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come down there. I'm going to live a perfect life. I'm going to do it the way I expected everyone else to do it in our agreement. And I'm going to take on your punishment. I'll be that sacrifice. I'll give my blood. Because I love you so much that I still want a relationship with you. Guys, when we understand how righteous God is, how he's always fulfilling his end of the deal, when we understand how just God is, how there is an expectation of punishment for sin, when we understand how sinful we really are and the magnitude of our sin and the quantity of our sin all the time, when we understand the intensity of the punishment that was on the cross, that's when we really can start to understand how much God truly loves us, driven by love to come down here and go through that so that we wouldn't have to, in spite of how sinful we are, in spite of how unrighteous we are, in spite of how many times we break our end of the bargain. He took our punishment so we wouldn't have to. I'm going to say a prayer, guys, and then we're going to go ahead and we're going to take communion. And this is a time, guys, for us to reflect on all the things that we've just talked about, to reflect on how righteous and just God really is, to reflect on how intense the cross was, to reflect on how sinful we really are, but to really reflect and let it soak into our hearts how much that means God actually loves us to come down and take our punishment so that we wouldn't have to, and so that he could still have a relationship with us. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing a couple songs just worshiping and thanking God. And then we'll continue with our offering, some announcements, and we'll close our service. Amen? Let's go to God in prayer. God, once again, we come before you just just so humbled, Father. I think sitting here doing that, sin assessment I, god i'm just so i'm so sorry i'm so i'm so ashamed god to think that you hold up your end of the relationship every single time and we seem to constantly break it and betray you and god i'm so sorry for that i'm sorry for my sin i'm sorry for the sins that we commit as a church I'm sorry for the sins we commit as your creation God, I understand that you're just. I appreciate that. And God, it helps me to see just the magnitude of how much you love us. God, I don't know why you still want a relationship with us, but I'm so thankful that you do. And as much as it pains me to think about what you went through on the cross, God, I am so grateful that you went through that so that I wouldn't have to, so that we wouldn't have to. God, thank you for giving us countless second chances God, I pray that we can take the blood, the, the, uh, the bread and the cup and 
and remember your body that was broken and the blood that was poured out for our atonement. God, I pray that this would compel us, compel us to be driven by love for you the way that you are driven by a love for us. I love you so much. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.